Hi, this is Zev from Rockville, Maryland. Dusted is a Story Wong podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash storywonk. Thanks. And welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted, your occipital lobe watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Because because of how it's at the back. No, and is how, why. how when you have brain surgery on the occipital lobe because you have a chip, then you don't even need to get your hair shaved or anything. You just pull a band-aid right on top of the head. Well, that's only true for vampires, in uh, fairness. Fair enough. Human <laughs> beings usually require a little more surgical prep and recovery time <laughs> than that. Spike though, spike. Hard as nails. That's right. <laughs> this week, we're watching episode four of season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Out of My Mind. Lonnie, tell us a little about our brand new Buffy writer. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, this is the first of eight Buffy scripts to be written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner. She writes now as Rebecca Sinclair, um, but I have loved her work on Gilmore Girls, and I'd completely forgotten that she did a stint on Buffy, so I'm very excited. I have to admit, I remembered the name. I didn't remember that she had written eight episodes. Yeah. That's impressive. And based on this one, I'm looking forward to those scripts. Oh, absolutely. This episode was directed by David Grossman. This is his seventh of 13. Previously, he brought us Real Me, The Yoko Factor, Superstar, Wild at Heart, Living Conditions, and Enemies. And when you look at that list, that is a list of problematic episodes. <laughs> But not because of the direction. <laughs> Definitely not because of the direction. It's a good looking episode. Yeah. Some of the stuff in the graveyard is among the more cinematic sequences that we have seen from Buffy mm-hmm. in a regular one of the mill episode that doesn't happen to be a season finale written by Joss Whedon. Yeah, well, fair enough. We got to take that out of the running because that's a whole different thing. <laughs> so let's get into it. Previously on Buffy, Riley was chipped and drugged, but now isn't so much. And Buffy has a new mystery sister. It's a special day because we are beginning in the graveyard. As Buffy is vigilant atop a crypt, then races to stake a vampire before he even rises from his grave, she's taking on the second vamp of the evening when Riley interrupts, plays it off as an aw shucks ain't this a coincidence moment, and joins the fight. A moment later, and Spike shows up and joins the fray, fighting a third newly risen vampire, before being pushed out of the way so Buffy can do what needs to be done. She tells Spike not to interrupt her patrolling, and she's not too enthusiastic about Riley's unwelcome appearance either. They wander away together, leaving Spike to monologue dramatically, then tumble into an open grave. This is nobody's finest hour. Except, I guess, for Buffy, who is apparently now able to synthesize her hunting instinct. Mm Mm-hmm. With a more traditional Slayer's role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is strong, strong Buffy. It's strong Buffy. She's been training with Giles. She's been getting really serious. I like this Buffy a lot. And last week's question about how we were to interpret Riley's behavior has apparently been resolved. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way of reading him in this episode as anything other than odious. No, he really, really is. And I also like that later in the episode, we actually get a textual acknowledgement of his odiosity. So (laughs) (laughs) from there, we move through the credits. And when we come out, we arrive at UC Sunnydale, where Buffy and Willow are arguing about the French Revolution. 
proving once and for all that a little education is a dangerous thing. Incidentally, <laughs> Marat, the person about whom they are arguing, was a vocal revolutionary who was stabbed in the neck while giving an audience to a young woman from the comfort of his bathtub. He was reclining in his bathtub, talking to a young woman, when she, in a fit of passion, stamped him in the carotid artery. That may be the most French way that it is possible to die. It may well be. Now, I have a question for you, though. Yes. Is that something you just knew off the top of your head? Is that like a piece of information that was just in your brain? No, I knew I knew that Marat had died in a bathtub. Oh, yes. And then when Buffy references it. And oh. then she ties it to some kind of vampire attack, yeah. which makes sense because of the stabbing, stabbing in, in the, the carotid neck. artery, sure. which is a really obscure and arcane joke for Buffy to make. Mm-hmm. I went and looked it up. And yeah, <laughs> sure enough. Okay. Can I just say once again how much I'm loving smart Buffy? Right. I love that she is having this argument. As much as Willow got all excited because they were having this academic argument, I thought that was great. And it shows that Buffy has this capability. And now she's taking everything seriously and she's doing all this training. I love this. It's a really great scene. It is perhaps a little surprising that this is the first academically inspired argument that they've had, Mm -hmm. given that they've been at college for more than a year now. Yes. But it does work. And I love most of all when Buffy tells Willow that she still wears the smarty pants in the family. Mm -hmm. Just that textual acknowledgement that this is a family. I I love that very much. That's one of my favorite things about Buffy. I know. And it plays just beautifully. (laughs) So we do learn that Buffy is continuing to study, but it's hard work balancing work and training. In the magic box, Giles and Xander are working on some new fixtures and fittings while Tara and Anya help. Tara and Willow hang out with the tarot cards, talking about matters prophetic and basically just being adorable flirts with each other, which is... I'm perfectly happy to see that. No, I loved it. I thought that was so incredibly sweet. And I also really like Xander's sudden competence in this. Love you know, it. I mean, he's he's been working construction for a while, and we also saw him kind of come into his own last week. But I like the fact that we have him there. He's building shelves. He's being useful. He's working with his hands. I love this Xander, And too. impressing Giles. Yeah. Which is, that's a really important relationship, mm-hmm. as we know from Restless at the mm-hmm. end of last season. Yeah. That's a relationship which... Xander puts a great emphasis on, Mm -hmm. but which isn't always reflected in the show. This is just a great opening sequence. It really is. I like it very much. Buffy and Giles go into the back to train. The moment they're inside, Riley tackles Buffy to the ground. Adorable. (laughs) While we get our first glimpse of the new training sanctum, she thanks them. She compares them to Desmond Llewellyn rather than John Delancey, which is appropriate, I think. And we cut away to Spike who appears to be watching Dawson's Creek in his crypt, a show that aired on the WB back in 2000 alongside Buffy. There are a lot of Buffy actors who also appeared on Dawson's Creek, including Bianca Lawson, who Mm -hmm. played Kendra, including Eric Balfour, who played Jesse, Meredith Salinger, who played Grace from I Only Have Eyes for You, Adam Kaufman, Parker Abrams, Jason Baer, who was Ford from Lie to Me, and one Mercedes McNabb, who plays Harmony. Oh my God, I love Harmony. Really nice intertextuality there. No, that's very fun. So now we know that Dawson's Creek is a fictional enterprise in the Buffyverse. Absolutely. I now have to go and watch all of Dawson's Creek to see if they ever make reference to Buffy. Oh, that would be really cool. I hope that they do. Okay, so here's the thing. 
When Buffy walks into the training area, the special training area that Giles has built specifically for her, her first moment in it, and Riley jumps on her and knocks her to the ground and then suddenly makes this whole thing about him. Is yeah. it is that as annoying as I think it is? Or is it just that I have no more patience for Riley? Astute listeners may have noticed that I kind of blew past that and didn't draw attention to it because... There are only so many times that we can call him the worst. Right. He is just actively and provocatively terrible mm-hmm. in this episode. And you're absolutely right. Tackling her, trying to catch her off guard, haha, isn't this funny? I get that he is supposed to be hyped up. I get that he is supposed to be excitable and, and a little out of control in the episode. He just comes off as as a jock. He comes off as a bully. He comes off as just an unbearable jerk i know and you're right to say that he makes the training sanctum which yes. that's just what i'm gonna call <laughs> the it from training now on. Sanctum. the training sanctum <laughs> the slayer sanctum he makes it about him in the worst kind of way and it's clearly textual we debated last week whether or not we were supposed to infer from his behavior that he was actually terrible mm-hmm. or whether or not there was a little dissonance in his portrayal in the show in this sequence He's deliberately juxtaposed with Xander, who is genuine about the work that he's done, absolutely grateful for Buffy's enthusiasm. He's there and present and emotionally connected in a way that Riley emphatically is not. Mm -hmm. And we don't seem to draw a specific connection between Riley's arc in this episode and the fact that he's acting out like a toddler. Yeah. Because no one says, hey, Riley, this isn't like you. What's going on? (laughs) Instead, they're like, hey, Riley, this is totally like you. Go away. Hey, Riley, what is it? Wednesday? Right. Well, and in the is opening. Is it jerk o'clock already? Exactly. Is it jerk o'clock already? In the opening, we actually correlate him with Spike. He's annoying Buffy in a very similar way to the way in which Spike annoys Buffy. Oh, yeah. And that's not good for Riley. Now, I do love the, the beat in the cold open. We didn't talk about yes. it. The, I saw that. <laughs> that's fantastic. Showing, too, not just that that Spike and Riley are of a similar type, Mm -hmm. but that it's Spike who is more emotionally connected to Buffy. It's Spike is more observant, Mm -hmm. more intimately aware of her than Riley is. Yeah. Because he, of course, is a big block of obtuse. (laughs) None of it is looking good for Riley. Not one, one thing. So back in the crypt, post Dawson's Creek, enter Harmony. She's Buffy's new arch nemesis and she needs a place to lay low. She's so bad that she's even taking up smoking. Buffy won't rest until Harmony is dead, we're told. And Spike would just love to take care of that problem for Harmony, if not for the pesky chip. But he will at least help with the thinking. You love Spike and Harmony, right? Yeah. I do. I I don't think that Harmony is the best, like, romantic pair for Spike. Oh, you don't. But there's... No, no, no. I I might have other opinions about that in the future. But, um, But I do feel like... Harmony brings out this side of Spike, the way that he looks at her when she's being adorable. I don't like the way he is when he's disrespecting her and treating her like dirt. But when she's saying about how I'm the arch nemesis and and he's just giving her this look like you are adorable and playing along with this whole thing about how she's going to kill the slayer. I'm not sure adorable is quite the word I'd go for. I don't usually (laughs) associate adorable with quite that amount of contempt. (laughs) I well, mean, a pinch or two, sure, but he's adorable. ladling it in by the cupful. Here. Right. The problem I have with Spike and Harmony, while liking them both separately, the problem I have when they are together is that they both basically function in the same way. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly dangerous, 
but also goofy. Mm-hmm. They are the comedy relief vampires, oftentimes. Spike gets to walk a line between being comic relief and being actual serious business. Mm-hmm. Harmony doesn't so much. But when they're together, they're both kind of existing in the same space. And for me, it removes what is special about both of them while diminishing the danger presented by vampires in the Buffyverse. And this is, you know, coming in a show where we had a cold open in which three different vampires were dispatched immediately, (laughs) effortlessly. That's not inconsistent with what we've seen from Buffy, but we're making a play that she's more dangerous than ever, more capable than ever. I need her to be opposed by something significant here. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel in this episode that Harmony or Spike or Spike and Harmony as a combined team are a real legitimate threat. I think that if the Spike and Harmony thing became a big thing, if it was like all the time and that was the only threat present, then I think that would be a problem. Having a little Spike and Harmony fun in an episode here and an episode there, I don't think is really a problem. No, I can see that. I just, I like them a little less when they're on screen together. I can understand how they undercut their danger, each of them, you know, and part of what makes these characters great is that, you know, comedy and danger that comes together with that. Because when Mm -hmm. you juxtapose Spike with Drusilla, say, or even with Angelus, you know, Mm -hmm. you juxtapose him with a very dangerous, very dark vampire, a very serious threat to Buffy and to Sunnydale in general, then his goofiness comes off as character. It comes off as Mm -hmm. texture. Yes. And he can play in that space beautifully when there's no counterpoint, when there's no alternative to this comedy relief vampire. I think it, it, it kind of detracts a little from their role in the story. No, I can understand that. I still adore it because, again, it's one of those things that's just made specifically to delight me. But, yeah. Buffy and Riley have a little intercoitus conversation in which it's clear that Riley's endurance is significantly more durable than might be expected. We cut away from there, blessedly, to the next morning, where Dawn is emptying a box of sugar bombs to get the prize when Joyce has a moment of confusion and falls to the floor. Dawn calls an ambulance and we cut to the hospital where Dawn and Buffy and Riley meet the cute intern, Dr. Ben. Dawn listens to Ben's heart and then to Buffy's as Ben reassures them that everything is okay. Then she listens to Riley's, which is pounding like a trip hammer. Possibly time to lay off the espresso there. Oh, yeah. It seems to me that what the episode is trying to do is faint with Joyce to get us to the hospital Mm -hmm. so that Riley can be discovered and we can start his plot. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it seems as though Joyce's role in the episode is deliberately de-emphasized. Yeah, she's a delivery mechanism to get Riley to the hospital. And how does that work for you? I think it works pretty well. Um, I think that Joyce, you know, it's alarming in that moment, but especially when she looks at Dawn and says, who are you? Um, That's kind of an interesting textual thing that we sort of like ride over nicely. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and so I think that when we get, once we get Riley to the hospital, once we have Dawn listening to all the heartbeats, that's when we go off in that direction. And that's basically our focus. Yeah, credit work credit is due to david grossman i absolutely love that scene where dawn is playing with the stethoscope and we hear from her pov as people are talking we have that muted sound of dialogue and then an emphasized sound of the various heartbeats which is pretty cool i like that very much it maybe feels a little like it's a long road Mm -hmm. to get us to the fact that riley's heartbeat is horribly accelerated Mm -hmm. but i like the movement of the scene Very much. I think you could argue that perhaps Dawn is a little less concerned about her mother than she should be. 
or than she could be, mm-hmm. but it works well enough in the moment. And it's a very striking scene, both visually and audibly. And I like how it plays off of, you know, Dawn's a kid. It's a very kid-like thing to do. And it it brings us back into this space where Dawn is still a child. And I think yeah. that's kind of cool. Well, I wanted to talk a little about that in general, because I think Dawn is great in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think that she's very consistently depicted, uh, you know, as a parent of teenage girls. Mm-hmm. I'm a little infuriated by the empty box of sugar bombs downstairs. By the cereal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we would not stand for that. No, there's no way. <laughs> but I like that she's enthusiastic about these things. I like very much the sequence in the hospital. I like very much the sequence in Buffy's bedroom. I like that, that too. That we're about to get to. Mm-hmm. I think she's legitimately great this is really great dawn yeah it surprised me how quickly we've arrived at a very confident Mm -hmm. version of this character she doesn't have a great role to play in the episode but she is at least present and i do think it's a very important decision to have joyce collapse in a scene with dawn but not with buffy because now we have dawn taking agency Mm -hmm. over a character for whom we have a great deal of affection you know Mm -hmm. we care about joyce so seeing dawn care about joyce makes us, I think, more inclined to believe in her. Well, and very competently get Joyce to the hospital. She yeah. gets on the phone, she calls 911, she makes it happen, you know, and I like that. Later, Riley has been checked out, but there's nothing the doctor can do to persuade him to stay in the hospital, even with severe tachycardia. Joyce is back on her feet again, and everyone seems to be just fine, so there's probably no reason to hang around in the hospital, right? At home, Willow, Buffy, and Dawn are caring for Joyce, but she's thinking about Riley, which is the thing that no one should be doing at this point. Dawn has some tinfoil hat theories about the CIA and Castro, and no one is picking up the phone at the abandoned secret government lab anymore. All right. I love Dawn here. I love the way she keeps talking about the CIA. I love the fact that they try to shut her down. She's like, no, it's important. And then she comes back and she's like, because it's about the government, you know. (laughs) And then what I love even more is that she's the one who makes the connection that gets Buffy what she needs. Yes. No, it works really nicely. Mm-hmm. There's a real and believable familial connection, not just between Dawn and Buffy, mm-hmm. but between Dawn and Willow. Yeah. I love that connection. I love that relationship. We barely touch upon it in this episode, but it feels completely authentic. It feels right that Willow should be there in the house yeah. with them, particularly an episode in which Buffy has described her as family. Yeah. No, it's really nice. And there's this one line from Willow, too, where Buffy's getting upset and Willow's like, oh, okay, well, I'm not supporting you correctly. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm trying too hard to make it okay. And that is such a woman, like such a female concept of like the kind of support that a friend needs. And you try to figure out what it is. Is this is this the feel my pain talk or is this the I'm angry for you or is this kick you in the butt talk? Like you have to figure out which talk you're supposed to be giving. And I love that just that one little line from Willow says so much much about that relationship enormously self-aware and enormously emotionally honest absolutely and i love that Dawn's just hanging out just allowed in the room which is something that we haven't seen any kind of communal hanging out with buffy and dawn buffy's always like get out of my room and that's essentially the only note that we've played with dawn but here is dawn just hanging out just giving her perspective and yes being shut down a little bit but in the end she's the hero of the scene right and shut down in a believable and not excessive or hyperbolic kind of adorable way yeah (laughs) at riley's place buffy picks up the phone and hears some ominous clicking and she tells whoever is listening that riley is in trouble riley meanwhile is playing basketball in the most aggressive testosterone way possible graham has stopped by with a couple of agents and tells riley that they need to take him in 
Riley doesn't believe him, but Graham isn't giving him a choice. An offer to which Riley graciously responds by beating the three of them to the ground and running off. Later, Graham tells Buffy that Riley's in trouble and that this could kill him. They have a doctor waiting, but Buffy needs to get Riley there. Riley, though, has taken to the caves. It's pretty great to see Graham again. It is kind of fun to see Graham again. Always my favorite of the initiative boys. Yes, absolutely. And here, without being burdened by Forrest, Mm -hmm. he gets to show up and actually play a role. And kind of be in charge, yeah. I like it a great deal. I like the confidence of the storytelling here. We don't feel the need to explain the interstitial steps Mm -hmm. between Buffy picking up the phone and addressing these unseen listeners Mm -hmm. and telling them that Riley's in trouble. Not only do they know exactly what the deal is, not only do they spring into action, they are simply there, they are capable, they are competent, arguably more capable and competent than they were when they were the initiative. Yeah, absolutely. This is a very high degree of competence. Whatever's going on with that team right now is is definitely working at a higher level. What do we think of Riley, first of all, playing the basketball in this exaggerated way? I would have stopped playing with him about 20 minutes ago, I think. <laughs> And then beating up Graham and the other initiative agents and and running off. Well, I mean, he's quite obviously out of control. Um, and we see Would this- Would you say he's out of his mind? He might be a little bit out of his mind. Um, We see this right from the opening scene in the graveyard where he is overenthusiastic. He's out there patrolling. He patrolled on his own thinking that Buffy was somewhere else. So he was intending to deal with these vampires on his own. That's really interesting. Yeah. Did you believe that? Yeah. Because that's what he says to her. Yeah. I don't believe that for a moment. I oh, think he I knew exactly where she, where she was going to be. He doesn't care about patrolling and killing vampires. My impression is he's out there to impress her. Oh, that's interesting. No, I took that at face value, but oh, I think you might be right. No, I think it's possible, certainly, to see it. wanting to show up for Buffy. Too. That's sure, the sure. whole point of these superpowers that he has. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, <laughs> no, pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, we're seeing Riley just being completely out of control and kind of acting like a big jerk uh, throughout this entire episode. Yeah. What I find interesting, and I said earlier that I guess there's no tonal dissonance about his character, no textual dissonance about his character, but I suppose there is because I honestly don't know to what degree we are supposed to feel sympathy mm-hmm. for him. Because historically, having something wrong with you and having to surrender to the government in Buffy the Vampire Slayer would not be a good thing. No. This would be a very serious storyline if it were happening to anyone else, but Riley is so objectionable that I can't believe the story expects us to feel any sense of sympathy for him. Well, also, he's known about what this is doing to him for a while. I mean, when they discover that his heartbeat is incredibly rapid, he does not look surprised oh, no, by that at knows. all. Yeah. So he has known all of this for quite some time and has just been totally cool with it and not considering the fact that if something happens to him, that's going to negatively affect Buffy. He just wants her to be, you know, all eyes aflutter at all the manly right. vampire killing he's doing rather than understand that she needs him as an emotional anchor for her. And the fact that she isn't eyes of flutter Mm -hmm. is her fault. Exactly. That is the worst thing about this episode. That is the the moral event horizon past which Riley has sauntered. Mm -hmm. The blaming of Buffy for his own perception of his own theoretical inadequacy is just the worst kind of relationship manipulation. It is something that is all too prevalent in the actual real world Mm -hmm. and seeing it depicted like this 
It makes me crazy. No, it does. But at least he's supposed to be a jerk. At least this isn't a Scavonian thing where they are, who are writing him think that he's awesome. Yes. And it's just <laughs> that he's actually a jerk. So Back at the magic shop, we get our first glimpse of what will become a very familiar scene. This is the all-new Scooby gang and their all-new hangout space. Xander and Anya you know, do their thing, and Buffy dispatches them to the docks. Willow and Tara head off to the burned-out remains of the school. Buffy needs help finding her way through the initiative caves, and there's only one person who can guide her. What do you think of the Xander-Anya stuff okay, right up well, front? I love that Xander does this whole, well, I have this friend um, thing who is, you know, kind of insecure, and exp- and it's making him act like a big jerk. As soon as Xander said it's making him act like a big jerk, I was like, yes, textual acknowledgement, Riley's a jerk. Um, <laughs> right. So I was very pleased with that. Though if we follow Xander's word as being textual confirmation, then Angel is also a jerk. Oz was a jerk for a while. Giles has been a jerk. <laughs> No, no, because I think that this is this is our new like you know very connected Xander, the emotional heart. Oh, Xander two point This is yes. Xander two So he has a lot more understanding. And if he says somebody's being a big jerk, then that means that somebody on the staff, Rebecca Rankershner, love her very much, is acknowledging that Riley's been a yeah, big no, jerk. No, I can see that. I kind of didn't like the I have a friend gambit from yeah. Xander. It seemed unnecessary, and it seemed to only queue up. Anya's, Anya's response. So yeah. we get their we get their little skit. And Anya's side of this is just bad and painful. And this is the the writing for Anya. For every other character in this episode, I feel like the writing has been just spectacular. Anya in this moment falls a little flat. We put up a lot of scaffolding to give her that joke, and the joke is not that great. <laughs> it's not, and you don't feel bad for Buffy mm-hmm. when she crashes back in saying, guys, Riley is actually in trouble. Exactly. And I get that this is cute, but we, we do have an A plot. Yes. <laughs> and we're on the clock a little bit. Buffy stops by Spike's crypt, interrupting a friendly game of 20 questions. Harmony, is it a sodding bread box? Oh, my God, one of my favorite lines ever. I want Pretty a gif of that. Harmony, Pretty great is it a line. sodding bread box? It's really nice. And totally believable that Harmony, when playing 20 Questions, <laughs> would jump to a bread jump box. to a bread box. I kind of love it. So Buffy offers Spike a job. There's some chemistry, and Buffy rather undercuts her job offer by tearing the money in half and leaving without him. <laughs> Not really sure what that gesture was supposed to accomplish there. <laughs> what? Tearing the money in half? Yeah. Because he says, I want half now. Yeah. So he can't get the other half, the you know, to make it actually useful right, but until he that's does not how money works. <laughs> I don't think that you can just tape it back together and take it to the bank, yeah, you can. can you? Sure you can. American money is weird. Sure you can. American money is bizarre. You can't do that in the UK? But Spike doesn't undertake the job. No, Th- he This doesn't. is what confused me about the whole thing. It seemed as though... It was Buffy telling him, well, forget it. I don't need you. Yeah. And then walking out by herself. Later, she goes to the caves by herself and, by the way, trivially recovers Riley. finds Riley. No, but this is She also doesn't give Spike the rest of the money, so presumably he now just has a stack of torn dollar bills or whatever that was. Yeah, well, Spike knows he's not going to do the job. That's why he says, I'll take half now. And then she outsmarts him. So, I mean, I I thought that was nice. I think it's outsmarting him when you ruin $20. I don't think that's... That is the literal dictionary definition of cutting off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> well, she was going to pay him that money. Yeah, she yeah. walks out. Now she doesn't have bus fare oh, to get I know. to the it's initiative caves. It's to get to the initiative caves. <laughs> I like very much the movement of the scene. I'm not entirely convinced by the gesture mm-hmm. itself. 
it would have been perhaps a little more effective if she had just slipped it back in her pocket and gone out by herself. Oh, no. I think it worked really well. I like that a lot. So it doesn't bother you that Spike doesn't in any way make good on this deal? No, he has no intention of making good on this deal. That's why he asked for the money up front to doesn't get what he could. Doesn't that make Buffy look weaker, though, that she did tear up this money and hand over half of it? No, because she gave him half. <laughs> Right, in order to convince him to do a job that she didn't believe he was going to undertake. No, she thought he was going to undertake it. I feel like we're having, this is like, who's on first? This is like dusted with Abbott and Costello. She thinks that he's going to do it. She wants him to help her. Dusted listeners, get in touch. Podcast at storywonk.com. Find us on Twitter at storywonk or call our voicemail line 252-505-WONK. It's 252-505-9665. And tell us if this scene made any sense at all. It made total sense to me. For me, the only headcanon that redeems it is the door swinging closed and Buffy standing in the graveyard holding these torn dollar bills, (laughs) looking at them and just saying, crap. (laughs) That was not what I intended. At the hospital, meanwhile, Graham checks in with the doctor only for Harmony and Spike to show up in person. Turns out there's one person who's super qualified to remove Spike's chip, though that does seem like a bit of a stretch for Spike. <laughs> Buffy mentions there's a doctor in the hospital yes. who can help Riley. Mm-hmm. She doesn't say what's wrong with Riley. She doesn't mention that it's initiative chip thing. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. make any mention of that at all. This is enough for Spike, though, to jump at it. This, for me, was the one point in the episode where the logical consistency wasn't quite up to snuff. Yeah, I think that if Buffy had given a little bit more information um, when she came in to give Spike the job, it probably would have made a little more sense. But I just, you know, I kind of whistle past that. Sure. I think it's all right. Spike persuades the doctor to perform the operation or something very bad will happen to him. Though with Harmony and a crossbow, something bad may just happen to him anyway. I think apparently something bad at is already... He's just been kidnapped by two vampires. <laughs> something bad has already happened to him. But there's this moment, though, where the doctor says, well, you know, removing it could make you a vegetable. And I want to ask a question about that, because we do know that Spike is dead. Like, what yes. is, what's going to happen to him? He doesn't breathe. He has no oxygen. I don't know how his brain works. It's all got to be working. The whole body's got to be working, just purely running off demon mojo. So, like, what is actually going to happen to him? How does a vampire well, become a vegetable? It seems and, as oh, though... Oh, by the way, a vegetable, too, is a really horrible yeah, word for that. Buffy and, rarely ventures into, like, really awkward, yeah. politically incorrect year yeah. 2000 language. Mm-hmm. This was This, this was is not one of those things. Yeah. You know, and now, of course, I've repeated it like five times because I'm repeating what they said. But I just want to acknowledge it's a bad word. It's a bad concept. Oh, it's, it's and, and we don't horrifying. want to use that and, to refer to human people. And I don't believe that a trained doctor would use that word even in the year not. 2000. I would hope not. It's an interesting thing about vampire physiology. You're right. They don't draw energy. They don't apparently need you know, sustenance in terms of nutrients. They, they get everything need they need from blood, brain. which means that it must be magically derived because there isn't enough, mm-hmm. you know, nutritional content in blood to sustain a person, you sure. would imagine. So they are clearly powered by the demonic energy of the demonic possession. That's our understanding mm-hmm. of the mechanism of vampire. This is a human host imbued with a demonic spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure quite how that works, but we've never seen a vampire exceed the actual physical characteristics of the body they inhabit. If Angel gets hurt in the arm, for example, his arm doesn't work as well. He can't just Mm -hmm. shake it off and carry on. They heal fast. They do heal fast. And they have kind of magical healing powers. So if something happens to Spike's brain, it might knock him out for a day or two, but I think that he would heal 
I mean, the fact we've, that we've literally no information on it. We've no well, idea what I would mean, happen. We've seen Angel, you know, over in the Angel Angel series, um, have like almost a, an entire tree trunk shoved through his torso. Right, but we don't and know. He heals from that. We don't know what the the seat of the connection. And I don't want to get mm-hmm. into you know Cartesian dualism here. <laughs> we don't know at what point on the physical or the spiritual planes the demonic essence is connected to the human body. Right. It might be. Yeah, it could be the parietal lobe. It could be some little some little sure. demonic nugget in the yeah. brain there that if that is disturbed or damaged, perhaps that would be the equivalent of of expelling the demonic essence from the vampire, of exercising the demonic essence from the vampire. We have no idea. We can only mm-hmm. speculate about it. I was trying to think, I don't think we've ever had a significant scene of cranial damage mm-hmm. occurring to a vampire. And we've certainly never seen a vampire with any lingering after effects, right? Uh, no, we've never seen a vampire really get hurt. But then again, like the only thing that can kill them is, um, you know, decapitation, fire, or a stake through the heart. So it seems like if it's the only thing that can kill them, then... Right, but if that can kill them... that injure them... I mean, we saw um, Spike, he was in the wheelchair for a while, so we know that he had to heal from that. Mm-hmm. We saw Drusilla had a, a weird kind of vampiric illness that we never really got a whole lot of information on that right. Spike healed her with with uh, Angel in that church. And Drusilla's insanity mm-hmm. seems to be strictly psychological rather than physiological. Yeah. It's... It's an complicated question. and it's fascinating, but yeah, yeah, we have absolutely no in information. In the end, we don't have enough information <laughs> to determine whether or not Spike is actually in any danger at all mm-hmm. throughout this process. Yeah. It's interesting. He's certainly moving around a lot when he's on the operating table. He sure is. So I like to think that that, that brain matter is just regenerating faster <laughs> than the doctor can cut through it. If you cut through it during. Neurological yes. examination? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. It might come as quite a surprise to you listeners. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Willow and Tara, check out the burned out ruin of Sunnydale High and let's pour one out for a homie. This is the last time we will ever see <gasps> Sunnydale High oh in Buffy the Vampire goodness. Slayer. Or I guess to be more exact, this is the last time we will ever see this Sunnydale yes. High. <laughs> Stick around for season seven. No spoilers, yes. <laughs> Willow casts a spell to illuminate the ruin, exceeding the spell that Tara taught her in the first place, that conversation doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But it does, for me, while being a genuinely lovely scene unto itself, mm-hmm. it does, for me, illuminate the problem with the episode, if you'll forgive the illumination pun. Mm-hmm. This is a very serialized, very soap opera episode mm-hmm. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And Buffy can do that normally because the monster of the week story anchors the soap opera storylines, yes. the ongoing serialized storylines. The Riley A-plot in this episode is just too weak. Mm-hmm. Partly because our attention is split between the Riley A-plot and the Spike and Harmony. Well, hey, that's probably also the A-plot <laughs> plot. Yeah, Our attention is unfocused, which leaves us with an episode that doesn't, it doesn't cohere. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to add up to as much as it might given the material that we're working with. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, no, I absolutely did. Um, as, when I think about this episode, I always remember the Spike and Harmony stuff really, really well. And then I think, okay, now what happened with Riley? Because I don't <laughs> I don't care. I'm not interested. It's just, you know, blah, 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 Riley, give me the Spike. You yes. Know? So, um, yeah, I think it is one of those things where the, the quote-unquote A-plot just doesn't have as much interest and momentum behind it as even – you know, what would ordinarily be the B-plot of Spike, you know, hijacking the doctor and 
and uh, and trying to get his chip taken out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it just it does. It feels really, really weak. It feels like the A plot is just too weak to hold up its part of the story. Yeah, I agree, particularly when we get to the scene in the caves, because in those caves, Buffy finds Riley, who is, you know, just hanging out, punching a wall. Why not? Just as you do. Sure. She tells him that he needs help, but he's not ready to stop being special. And hey, it's all Buffy's fault. But Buffy was never interested in his powers or what he could do for the team. And either way, she's taking him to the hospital. This is not a good scene for Riley. This is one of the worst scenes for Riley. When she says, that's not enough for you. And he goes, it's not enough for you. I'm like, when did she ever well, say, boy, Riley, I need you to be super duper. But this you know? is the textual evidence of everything that we've said about Riley and Buffy from the beginning. Yeah. This is not a great scene for Riley. Mm-hmm. And thus, it is not a great scene for Buffy. When she seeks to assure him, when she says <laughs> whatever variation it is on, you know me better than anyone no else. No one has ever known me the way that you do, which also, like, really? I don't think that's true. Really? Yeah. Because they haven't spent that much time together and the time that they have spent together seems to have been more fractious than her relationship with for example angel i mean the relationship with angel absolutely heart-rending soul-destroying stuff Mm -hmm. but there were a few weeks there where she was going to the garden mansion every night and just hanging out with him and he knew her and understood her and also saw her i don't think riley ever sees buffy (laughs) in any room with riley and buffy it's riley and riley's reflection in buffy's eyes that's all he ever sees and textually again within this episode both spike and xander have seen Buffy more clearly Mm -hmm. than Riley has. Yeah, and Willow understands Buffy. I mean, the list of people who understand and know Buffy better than Riley does. It's the population of the Earth minus one. It is pretty much, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is kind of a painful scene for me because of that. I don't care so much about Riley. I don't like the diminishment of Buffy herself. Mm -hmm. And I don't like her playing catch-up. The part that I do like is whether you are... In this relationship, whether you are blaming me, whether you are out, whatever circumstance we find ourselves, I am going to do the right thing. That is one of those rare moments when Buffy isn't at all compromised by her relationship with Riley. She's going to do the thing that she's going to do regardless. And I also like the visual of that, which is kind of the reverse of the caveman hitting the girl in the head and dragging her into the cave. She's going to hit this guy in the head and drag him out. So I kind of like that. Though when he magnanimously acquiesces, he does take time out to just emphasize again how this is all her fault. Exactly. Just the worst. (sighs) Meanwhile, the doctor is operating on Spike's brain while Harmony interrupts and does her harmony thing maybe a little too much with a little too little material yeah yeah and even harmony is probably not that stupid but yeah i still enjoy it you'd think i can't help it it's my secret shame but that's exactly what i'm talking about if spike is a serious threat then harmony's goofiness plays off that and it works yeah when harmony is this goofy and spike is this goofy Mm -hmm. we can't get any any agency, any impulse, any motivation to the plot there. Well, there's no danger remaining in the space when they're both goofy. In the hospital, Buffy and Riley find Graham and the guard unconscious. Graham catches them up on what has happened so far, and Buffy jumps to exactly the right conclusion, reminding us again, Buffy's really smart, you guys. She's really smart. Riley is feeling the worst for wear all of a sudden, and Buffy is done with not killing Spike. Speaking of, the doctor has apparently removed the chip, and by the time he's finished stitching up the incision, Buffy and Riley arrive, Spike and Harmony vamp out, Spike gives Buffy the good news. He's chip-free and ready to go. Harmony shoots Riley, and they fight, Buffy beats on Spike, 
But when he finally attacks her, turns out that the chip isn't so much gone after all. <laughs> I like this doctor. I think I love this doctor. And this I think doctor I would approve of our daughters marrying him. Maybe even both of them. No, I like him a lot. But the thing that I find <laughs> funny is Buffy comes in. The doctor has been, you know, kidnapped by these two vampires. He is a victim. And Buffy shoves him to the ground you know, and says, you will sit there. I love that yeah. because he is still initiative uh-huh well, he no, is fair still enough. the fair enemy enough. for buffy i thought about that because the first time i watched it i was struck by exactly the same yeah. thought like geez buff settle down the yeah, guys exactly. had a tough day <laughs> but thinking about it a little more deeply mm-hmm. i think that's absolutely true to her character she doesn't like anyone in this room right now yeah she's but he's she's with the still initiative. going to do yeah the i, right I thing. guess except that he's you know he's a doctor like he doesn't he's not like one of these big military guys like he's a doctor he's he looks a little nerdy not exactly you know sure the biggest tree trunk in the forest you could have said the same about maggie walsh well fair enough or dr engelman come to that fair enough and they were full of nothing (laughs) but troubles look at the trouble they got up to buffy just spent a whole season clearing up after them (laughs) it does work it is a great fight scene we do have to you know buy the idea that spike will just let buffy wail on him for solid 20 seconds there before he takes action against her i do like that he doesn't go to punch her to Mm -hmm. kick her it is straight to the bite it is straight to the feast Mm -hmm. which makes even more sense given the closing moments of this episode pretty pretty solid scene spike and harmony flee while the doctor tends to riley in the graveyard spike comes close to a breakdown ranting about the injustice of having buffy in his life this has got to end after the surgery riley is back to normal and buffy is still there with him She leaves to take care of Joyce, and they kiss. Later, Graham and Riley talk about Buffy and his future. Graham wants him back in the initiative, and there's nothing for him in Sunnydale. And I just really like Graham. I like Graham in this moment. He's just great. What are you, the mission's boyfriend? No, I love that line. And you know what? (laughs) Yes, Graham is smart. I like the way Rebecca Rand Kirshner writes people as though they're all smart. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Except Anya. But, I mean, everybody else, she got great. (laughs) At Spike's crypt... Buffy tells him that she's done. He demands that she do it, that she finish him, that she free him from this torment. And then they kiss. Buffy recoils and kisses him again. He professes his love and then wakes with a start, the realization upon him. And we cut to credits. The revelation, the Uh great moment. Spike and Buffy sitting in a tree. (laughs) I know that Spike and Buffy Mm -hmm. is one of your favorite things in the world. Yes. How do you like this moment? How do you I like this reveal? love this moment because his obsession with her has really had that reminiscence of the schoolyard crush, you know? Sure, sure. Um, and when this finally became text, when Spike finally realized that his obsession with Buffy uh, goes a little bit deeper than just the animosity, um, it was the perfect place for that to go. The first time I watched it, I was surprised. I didn't know anything about what to expect. I didn't know anything about Spike and Buffy. All I ever heard about was Angel and Buffy, Angel mm-hmm. and Buffy, Angel and Buffy. And I never heard anything really about Spike and Buffy. Um, so when I first watched it, it was this glorious, wonderful revelation, you know. <laughs> um, and also the fact that like when they kiss, I didn't believe it. And I was like, no, no, Buffy would never. Oh, ooh, dream. Ooh, cool. And then all of a sudden that reversal made me completely buy well, into something that I didn't buy in the moment. It's not that she kisses him. It's the moment when she recoils. And then goes back. And goes That's back. the moment that broke it for me. Yeah. I don't know genuinely how I feel about 
another bait and switch dream sequence from Buffy. Yes. <laughs> I feel this is now just becoming a regular part of their vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Is we'll we'll have our expectations excited to the point that we get some kind of emotional revelation mm-hmm. and then we'll undercut it, we'll retreat from it by framing it as a dream. It works well enough. Certainly the intensity of the moment is there. I think maybe there's a way of doing this revelation without the dream. I think maybe there's a way of having Spike arrive at this moment without having to honestly play a little unfair with the audience. Well, honestly, I typically don't like dream sequences. You know me. I'm not a fan. I think that this is one dream sequence that is well earned. (laughs) Uh, The look on Spike's face when he wakes up and that moment where he's just completely freaked out by this reality but not denying it he acknowledges it he accepts it once he understands it he's he's in um i love that i think it's really really well done and i could do without a lot of the other dream sequences but i would fight for this one yeah his arc through the episode works really quite nicely and is broadly consistent with his arc through god the last season yeah i guess pretty much i like his fascination with Buffy that was evident from School Hard you oh, know, yeah. back in season two. Mm-hmm. Buffy has always been special in part by virtue of the fact she's the Slayer, but in part because she's a different sort of person. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's an energy to her that is still distinct from everyone else in the show. And we forget that because the show is called Buffy the Vampire Slayer and she's the Slayer and she's our hero. So of course she's a little different from the rest of the ensemble cast. But I think that Spike's growing fascination with her has also kind of made that textual too, Mm -hmm. has made that seem deliberate and purposeful. I think it works really quite well. Unfortunately, the execution falters for me because of the inclusion of Harmony, the reliance on Harmony. Mm -hmm. I think that because the episode is somewhat undercut by the absence of that A-plot, what would feel more purposeful, what would feel more intended feels instead a little meandering, a little lightweight. It doesn't quite build in the way that you would want it to build. A prime example of that is Spike ranting to Harmony after they leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. When he gets his his moment of just rage and fury, that is so fast and so choppy mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel climactic. It feels epilogic it feels yeah. as though this is mm-hmm. his i'll get you next time gadget you know it's that <laughs> that is the villain send-off mm-hmm. instead it's supposed to be you know the first part of what will ultimately be within the span of the episode an emotional crescendo for mm-hmm. spike so that stuff doesn't quite hang together what do you make of the episode as a whole i think the episode is really great i don't care much about riley but i do feel <laughs> i do feel like that storyline though is as well written as it's gonna be i think that the writing is good i think that i've just all of my goodwill for riley has been completely washed away yeah. so that i just don't care because it's riley but i do think that the writing for even the a plot was actually really well, good yeah it's it's well written and consistent with what we know of riley the problem is that Riley at this point has no charm Mm -hmm. to him. Imagine a world in which for some reason Xander is suddenly superpowered. Xander's suddenly having this this Yeah, and you know, Xander's endangered. That Xander's exactly. going to drop dead of a heart attack. I would care about that. If Riley drops dead of a heart attack, I think, well, eh. Yeah, we'd be invested, particularly because we're just calling back to something that happened last season but mm-hmm. doesn't have a more immediate cause. It doesn't yeah. have a more immediate effect. The big part of the backstory of this episode that's missing for me is some kind of explanation 
for Riley's increasing abilities, his mm-hmm. increasing heart rate, his increasing, you know, aggression, his increasing need for action. I kind of headcanoned that he found a stash of the super soldier serum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Had he found a stash of that drug and been administering it to himself... I think that would have explained a lot more of what was happening and would have motivated it a little better. It would have been his fault instead of rendering him just a victim. Just another victim. Yeah, absolutely. Because what we have here is a classic problem in conflict construction. Mm -hmm. Riley's goal is negative. He doesn't want it to change. Yeah. It's not that he wants something. He just doesn't want to go to the hospital. He doesn't want to be treated. He doesn't want to be normal. Right. And negative goals never carry the same weight in terms of plot conflict that a positive goal does. Right. I would have rather had Riley finding a bunch of the stuff about to run out and he calls Graham in to get more or to, you know, or something like that where he's actually going after something. I think I could enjoy that story at least a little more, even though it would be incredibly stupid and incredibly risky. And, you know, and then because he's done all this stuff, because he's taken all of this stuff, because he's continued with the super soldier thing, that's what puts him at risk and makes him, you know, to the point where he's going to die of a heart attack. So if it was something that he had done to himself, absolutely. I think that would be such a stronger choice for Riley, but Riley is just weak and it's not even the, that he is a Superman in this episode. He manages to dust one vampire with the help of Spike and Buffy, and, you know, fair enough. But he's not doing anything except, you know, tackling Buffy, being a pain in the butt, getting in the way on her patrol. Um, He's as much of a pest as Dawn ever was. And showing her even less respect than Dawn. Oh, man, yeah. So where do we put this episode on our list of every Buffy episode ever before we move on to our post-music spoiler zone this week? Believe it or not, guys, we have a thing or two to discuss in the spoiler zone (laughs) this week. Yes, we do. So let's take care of the formality and put this on the list. I was looking a little lower, honestly, than I was first expecting. Because Mm -hmm. this is a fun episode. It's an important episode. It begins a number of significant arcs. It advances a lot of our serialized plots. Just another step forward. It's very well put together, very well written, beautiful to look at throughout. And yet, when I look on the list... I can only put it so high Mm -hmm. because it never really lives up to its potential. It doesn't come together. It doesn't deliver a focused emotional punch. What we have here are an assembly of B or C stories Mm -hmm. that just happen to take place in the same episode without anything to unite them. So for that reason, I ended up putting it in at 17 on the list between Restless and Superstar, both of which I think are more focused stories. Well, I have to say, I love this story. I think it's really well written. Mm-hmm. I'm additionally impressed, although I don't think I can give extra points for this, that this is Rebecca Rankirchner's freshman effort on Buffy. Right. Um, so I think it's incredibly impressive that she was able to write these characters as well as she did, as competently as she did. And honestly, better than a lot of the people who are writing these characters. I loved the way that she had everybody being just a little bit smarter than they've been typically. Uh, so that was really, really great. Um, Um, And I appreciate this episode, I think, a lot more than you do. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I put it at 17. Exactly Uh, the same spot. I put it in exactly the same spot. Okay. Um, I think that it's really, really good. But I don't feel like right now when anything in the top 20 is just a huge compliment because those margins are so slim when we get up to the top. The air gets really, really thin up there. Sure. Because everything is so great. And I looked at it and I thought, is it better than this? Is it better than this? Is it better than this? And I landed in the exact same place. 
Wow, I wasn't expecting complete agreement. Yeah, I know. There after you go. watching this episode, I thought honestly that maybe you would be a little hotter on it than mm-hmm. I am. But that's good. I think we we found an equitable compromise. I there. think so too. <laughs> In complete agreement. <laughs> the best kind of compromise, ladies and gentlemen. So there it is, 17 on the list right there between Restless and Superstar, and that is it. For this episode of Dusted, we'll be back on Thursday with our thoughts on the fourth episode of the second season of Angel Untouched, in which Angel, in a completely unexpected move, rescues a damsel in distress. I know. I can't wait to see that happen. Bold change of direction for Angel the series. <laughs> I there. know. Then next Monday, we're going to be back with episode five of season five of Buffy, No Place Like Home, in which Buffy discovers some new information about Dawn. I'm looking forward to that one. That'll do it for this week, though. We'll be back after the music with some spoilery thoughts on what is to come in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So if you've already seen the show, or if you don't care about spoilers, then stick around for that. Otherwise, we will talk to you on Thursday. Until then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted. So I guess four spoiler topics for Mm -hmm. us, one of which at least is very minor. This is the episode where we are introduced to cute doctor intern Ben. Cute Cute intern doctor Ben. Intern cute doctor Ben. (laughs) One or all of those things. One of those. Well, the thing that's nice about that is that he's completely hidden within the fabric of the story. And if we'd never seen Ben again, we would never have noticed. Mm. There's nothing that stands out. There's nothing that's particularly conspicuous about him being there. And yet we get to kind of fold him into the fabric of the story so that when he shows up again, um, it feels a little more natural yeah and speaking of folding things into the fabric of the story i love the misdirection on joyce's storyline we mentioned this a little in the main body of the episode that joyce serves as our access point for the riley storyline which is great and the unobservant viewer might forget that joyce had taken a fall at all but if you pay attention to it you're probably not remembering her headache Mm -hmm. what you're focusing on i imagine is her asking dawn who are you yeah which seems to apply pressure to this mystery of dawn's identity rather than joyce's ongoing medical condition and this is the nice thing this is when this kind of foreshadowing is really deftly done then we have two narrative purposes for the thing that's happening because viewers are you know really smart and when they see something that stands out that looks conspicuous they're going to be like well what is that about mm-hmm. and then they're going to start thinking about it because we have another purpose to Joyce's you know fall because we have another purpose to Ben's you know a place in the hospital because we have another purpose for the visit to the hospital all of that comes together as something that's explained by the narrative that we're in and so we can see it there and right. and not have it pop up out of nowhere but at the same time not be so worried about this is Chekhov's intern you know? exactly yes. right it's explained by the narrative in the first instance and if we're feeling particularly skeptical and we go one step deeper and we think wait what did she mean when she didn't recognize Dawn yeah then that's also a rich and possible narrative strand that we can investigate it just so happens that that too is a feint that that yeah. too isn't accurate or at least isn't leading us in the right direction it's 
great and powerful Christine Sutherland is amazing. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be real tough. No, it is. This is the beginning of a really, really difficult time. And uh, and it's honestly one of the most heartbreaking stretches in Buffy, which is known for its heartbreaking (laughs) stretches of episodes. But watching Joyce go through everything that Joyce is about to go through and knowing that this is the beginning of it. I mean, this is my two two teenage daughters in the house headache line that we had Mm -hmm. uh, last episode was one thing. But now we are we're moving into really serious territory where we're actually going to be acknowledging this textually. And it's going to be tough. And it's one of the major themes of the season. We've become so accustomed to dealing with power Mm -hmm. as an issue in Buffy, the application and misapplication of power, the desire for and the fear of power. Here, we're looking at power opposed with its ultimate opposite, powerlessness. Yeah. That's going to be one of the major themes of the season. I can't wait, in one sense, to talk about that in another I'm kind of dreading it. It's really, really good. It's heartbreaking, but it is really good and well done. Speaking of heartbreaking things that I'm dreading, we have a little throwaway from Willow and Tara here. Oh, yeah. Wherein we see Willow's inability to let things lie when it comes to magic. And also her lack of concern for the fact that she's pushing magic as far as she is. And her lack of respect for Tara. Yeah. And Tara also looking worried. Tara sees what's happening. Tara has this ability to see past so many things and see the truth of it. And whenever Tara looks worried about something, it's something worth worrying about. There's so much in that scene because it's not just that Willow has amplified the spell. It's that she took what Tara knew amplified it without telling her, not as part of a collaborative exploration together, but Mm -hmm. on her own. And she revels in the power itself. Mm -hmm. This is better than a flashlight. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Flashlights kind of serve their function. Flashlights kind of provide a perfect solution to the dark. And then she's like, Willow instead turning to magic Instead of the much more mundane option. Well, yeah, walking around with a flashlight like a doofus. And then we cut directly to Buffy, who is the most powerful person we know, walking around with a flashlight. So I think that that is really deftly done. And had I not known at this point what was coming for Willow and Tara, and let's not forget, that's coming in a season. Yeah, Uh, We deal with it a little bit this season, but it really becomes a thing next season. Um, And uh, so that is just wonderful, you know, uh, tiles being laid Mm -hmm. for things that we're going to have Yeah, it's not so pointed that you get a Definite fear, but there's no way that you can come out of that scene without feeling a little disquiet, a, without a feeling little a little discomfort there. Yeah, for yeah. this sweet, sweet couple that we love so much. We do I love know. them so much. <laughs> Speaking of couples, we love so much. Look at that effortless segue. I know. Spike and Buffy. Spike and Buffy. There is only so much, I guess, that we can talk about Spike and Buffy. We're mm-hmm. going to have the opportunity to talk about them in future episodes. We're going to have the opportunity to track their relationship as it develops. What I really want to talk about here, though, is the birth of this new desire, the mm-hmm. birth of this new need and compulsion within Spike. And the fact that it is framed in such urgent and powerful terms, it's animalistic Mm -hmm. it's violent it's urgent that is always going to be the greatest positive about buffy's relationship with spike but also the greatest negative that's always going to be the most dangerous thing is that it is wild Mm -hmm. do you think that's fair oh yeah the thing that sets spike apart as a vampire 
from the very first was his ability to love. The relationship with Drusilla was the mm -hmm. thing that the judge called out that gave them humanity, you know? Um, and it was also a thing that made them incredibly rare and incredibly interesting in the context of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now here we have Spike, you know, this vampire who we've been kind of pulling onto the you know, enemy of my enemy is kind of my half enemy. <laughs> enemy of my enemy is my frenemy kind of space where sometimes he is an ally. Sometimes he helps them. But he's always at his core a monster. That's who he is. I love that he falls in love with Buffy. When I first watched it, I was a little worried that they were going to defang him, that they were going to make him this big hero, that he was going to be another brooding angel who was transformed only by his love of Buffy. I like the fact that his love is rooted in violence and obsession and really, really dark parts of his personality. Yeah. And yet can still be expressed. And we're going to see this throughout season five. He does heroic things because he knows that not doing that would hurt Buffy. And yes. so he has that capability within him, but it still doesn't erase or negate the monster within that for Spike to come out of that, he has to earn his way out of that. And there is no easy way for him to do that. Right. And we'll be able to debate in due course whether or not he ever actually, actually earns, earns his way, his way through it. that. Sure. It is in the first instance, though, going to be an interesting counterpoint to Riley, because now we've got a couple of characters doing things in order to be the guy that Buffy wants, to be the guy that Buffy pays attention to. That's not going to be approached in the same way. It's going to be interesting to see how we diverge no it's really interesting and spike comes out of that looking better than riley because no matter what with spike and this is one of the things that i love so much about this relationship that one of the things that spike never does is diminish buffy right. and part of that is because buffy is never trying to impress him she's never trying to comfort him to be other than she's she is never yeah. she doesn't bring herself lower to make him feel better as we saw in this episode spike sees buffy more clearly than pretty much anyone. Yeah. And Spike, of course, has a track record of seeing things clearly. Mm -hmm. He is surprisingly and deceptively observant mm -hmm. throughout. So I like that very much. I also like the fact that we're just approaching this from an adult, mature perspective. Love isn't always enough. Mm -hmm. Love isn't always going to be the answer. Love isn't always going to illuminate your path to happiness. Love can be about blood and fire and obsession and pain and darkness and all the things that Spike brings to it as a counterpoint to Angel's much more pure kind of chivalric love, mm -hmm. where the dark side of love for Angel is imposed upon him by the curse. Mm -hmm. The dark side of love for Spike is maybe the first thing. Maybe that's the foundation stone. It's inherent in who he is. And as we yeah. get to know Spike better, we see that he comes from this this place of love and and almost viewing love in this um in this extremely, you know, like capital R romantic way, this classic romantic version of love. Um but at the same time he can't touch that because he is he's a monster and so everything he touches, even something like love, becomes essentially corrupted simply by his involvement. Yeah. In it. I think you're right. I think those are two very powerful factors in his life. I think the third very powerful factor is that he is also a crueler, more unrestrained, bloodthirstier yeah. person, creature, than he believes himself to be in his finest moments. Mm -hmm. You know, And he gets to indulge both sides of that when he's with Drusilla because she celebrates that side of him. This is 
different. Mm -hmm. This requires him to change and to want to arc toward being yeah. a better man, at least. Yeah. There's going to be a ton to talk so about. So much good stuff. This is the beginning from here all the way through to the end of season seven. I love everything with Spike in that whole run. I think it's one of the best things that we've ever done with a character. Um, and then, of course, over in Angel, we're going to be seeing almost the flip reversal of it happening with Wesley's mm -hmm. arc into darkness. So can't wait for that either. Yeah, I'm really looking forward yeah. to that getting started. This is one of the reasons, I think, why this episode did rate so highly, given my criticisms of it, mm -hmm. why it went in ultimately at 17. I don't think it's a great episode, but it is a great harbinger of wonderful things to come. Oh, yeah. It is, in a weird way, the definitive statement on season five. It's going to be, this is our starting point for the story that we're going to get, for really all the stories that we're oh, going yeah. to get. Mm -hmm. They all spring out of this episode. So it earns a special place in my heart for that, if nothing else. That will do it, I think, for the Spoiler Zone. We will be back on Thursday with Untouched from Angel. We'll talk to you then. Grr, arg.